0: In this episode of Full Stack Radio, I talked to Tim Neukens about what's new in Next.js nine point three and how it's changing how they are building applications at Zeit. This is Full Stack Radio, episode one thirty seven. So the reason I wanted to have you on the show is uh, Next.js nine point three came out recently, which Uh, just looking at the version number sounds like it might just be a small incremental change but in practice actually introduces some really kind of paradigm changing uh, features about the way people use next at least in the way that I understand it so uh, maybe I think the best place to start would be talking a little bit about um, the major sort of new additions that came in uh, in 9.3 and and what they do and then we can just kind of have some discussions around that because there's a lot of questions that i have about that stuff um so how do you sort of explain to people what kind of the major uh, improvements are in next 9.3
1: right so um basically this whole shift started with the release of next nine um where we released like basically um like for those who don't know it next is a um uh, framework for React uh, that makes it really easy to build uh, web applications. Um, so it goes from websites to web apps, etc. Um, but from like the very first release, like the main thing that we focused on was making it really easy to use React, but also to use server-side rendering, right? So like on-demand rendering. Like every request that comes in, uh, a new render of the React app happens server-side. So that allows you to like optimize for uh, search engine optimization um, to like get a faster paint to by basically like sending the full HTML uh, on demand. But um, starting from X nine, we basically started focusing on also providing you this like not rendering on demand but rendering at build time, so static generation basically. Um, like the first feature that we released to like achieve that is that pages that didn't have blocking data requirements that used get initial props at the time, um, would be exported statically, automatically at build time. Uh, the reason for that is if you didn't have, uh, blocking data requirements, the page was already static. It was re-rendering the same thing every time on demand, um, that would obviously like take up server resources, uh, be slower, etc. cetera. Um, so basically that was an optimization. So we called it the automatic static optimization. Um, and that means that if you don't have blocking data requirements, it's static.
0: Yeah, so maybe to like get into that a little bit so people are clear on it, at least the way I understand it is like prior to that feature, um, basically you are paying like a penalty on any really simple pages Um, because everything was trying to be rendered the same way. So everything was sort of working with this like lowest common denominator, assuming like, oh, we're going to need to be able to make API calls to fill in holes on the page before we render it and stuff like that. So when we want to render our static marketing page or something, now that has to go through this node process on demand that's going to boot up React and figure out what the final rendering should be and then send that back so that where whereas in reality that wasn't necessary because it's never changes between deploys so why not figure out how to just like cache that on a cdn basically somewhere and have that page be delivered instantly essentially to people and that's what you can do as of next nine basically automatically it just kind of detects whether or not you even need kind of runtime server-side code uh, or not
1: yeah. So basically, the um, like that example is really good. Like, if you took a like you create a very simple React component that is like your page, uh, and then the page would be like just exporting "Hello World" like H1 "Hello World." That's it, right? Uh, then that would have been rendered on demand for every request that comes in, which makes like little sense, of course, because uh, it can be statically exported at build time uh using the same rendering as usual. Um, but just generating static HTML that can be served from like either a CDN or from like your um, like Edge network or something like that. Um, and that was like the first like initial step. And in uh Next93 we basically like took that a step further by allowing you to do blocking data requirements so when I say blocking data requirements I mean like fetching some posts from like your CMS or uh, fetching some data from your database or something like that uh, and allowing you to make those static also so to do that we introduced get static props and get server-side props and basically the the way that like the one works is it generates it statically at build time so get static props means static at build time and then get server-side props means you get the like on-demand when a request comes in, it's rendered. So that's mostly like what we did before, basically. Um, but we still like we went a bit further and we made some adjustments in how the semantics work. So it's not exactly like get initial props, which we had before. Um, and the main difference there is that, for example, it allows you to do like actually call node functions like fs or like extra fetches or something like that or like even direct database queries um we see some people experimenting with that right now like doing a database query like inside of get server side props or inside of get static props uh which is pretty cool because it actually allows you to like get rid of a lot of overhead from fetching api calls for example um but like focusing on get static props first basically the way that it works is once you export that function from a page it will generate that page as static html at build time and then uh, if you have like dynamic part segments like uh, pages blocks, slug for example right like dynamic data basically um, you can actually return uh you can export another function that is called get static parts that uh, allows you to basically give back the parts that have to be rendered at build time and yeah, that's that's basically like the the way that it works, like in a nutshell. Um, but there's a bunch of other like optimizations that we did around that.
0: Cool. So I think maybe a good place to to start would be kind of digging into some of these, and I can ask you some questions about them if that's cool, and make sure that um, everyone understands exactly kind of the cool benefits that you get from some of this stuff so the way i understand it is like get get static props anyways is trying to solve this problem that existed prior to next 9.3 and not really a problem per se but trying to help optimize for the situation where so next nine introduces this ability for things to be automatic automatically statically generated if they don't have any data requirements so like a marketing page with no data requirements can be statically generated when you try to deploy your app thrown on the cdn somewhere goes it works instantly but then like sometimes you have these like in between pages i guess that are not like an internal application page that have like real-time data that needs to be we kind of refetched every time you refresh the page or whatever but they do have things that change um every sort of like uh deploy it's possibly so like a good example is like what people do a lot of the times with like headless CMSs now, and they want to build like a static output where all the articles are pre generated, but they're still coming from like an API or a database at the end of the day. It, prior to Next 9.3, you had to just use the, get initial props to get that, and that would be calculated every single time. But get static props is giving you the opportunity to say, well, if you do have data requirements, we'll let you get them once at build time but then from that point forward we're going to just serve it as a static pre-generated page until you sort of intentionally want to refetch and rebuild because like you know that the underlying data has changed so really i guess it's optimizing for 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 dynamic data that just changes very infrequently i guess
1: yeah so um that that is mostly correct. So uh, basically, like this, the automatic static exporting is uh, obviously like it works really well for marketing pages or uh, like uh, blogs that are like built by uh, like that are literally written in JSX or something like that. Mm-hmm. But then get static props basically allows you to um, get the data from somewhere else, uh, basically anywhere. Um, like it's not tied into any data fetching solution still, so you can use. Like GraphQL, but you can also just use like the SDK from the CMS that you want to use, um, and by doing so, you basically like start uh, statically generating like certain pages because this all works like per page. So you can say like, oh, this like blog pages have to be statically generated, but then like the other pages, like the marketing pages. Um, or like a dashboard, for example, like a dashboard is probably a better example of that. Like you want to on demand render that, uh, or client side render that, uh, depending on like what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can basically choose per page if you want to use like get static props or get server side props. Uh, and this all comes back like to basically building a hybrid application. Cause like if you're, if you start building an application, you generally don't end up just doing everything statically or just doing everything like service that rendered. It's always like a mix of the two, basically.
0: In the ideal world anyways, I think probably most people end up doing it one way or the other and basically sacrificing like for, an example would be like, I use Laravel a lot to build stuff. So it's a full stack backend framework that talks to the database. If I build my marketing pages with Laravel, now I need a PHP process that spins up just for the purposes of showing a static page that could have been on a CDN and there's no real easy way for me to like kind of build in one paradigm but have things sort of deployed in a way that makes the most sense based on the needs of that specific page right and it sounds like next 9.3 is really trying hard to let people just kind of have like one authoring experience essentially but never compromise on the output kind of approach for different pages everything just kind of automatically deploys in like the most beneficial way possible for the type of needs that those pages have is that kind of the right way to think about it
1: yeah definitely so uh basically before uh we had this the like trade off you would make uh or like even generally if you look at the, the whole space right now um you choose between like I'm either going to do like everything statically or you're going to do everything dynamically, um, but that's generally like not what you want for the general applications that you're building, um, as you would always end up with like some pages that have to be static or like that would have be like it would be greatly beneficial if they were static, right? Yeah. Like your marketing pages start from a CDN around the world is always going to be faster than rendering it on demand from like San Francisco or something like that. Mm-hmm. So that is like the main uh, like trade-off that you would make, and then uh, basically next gives you the, like, a way to basically say,, like, "I want these pages to be static, I want these pages to be, uh, to be dynamic, and then the static pages can be served from a CDN. Um, and then the dynamic pages would still be rendered like on demand, but you can also just cache them like, uh, in that process, for example.
0: Yeah, very cool. So I think like the next piece like related to the get static props that I think is probably the first question that people would have, which you have a solution for that you kind of briefly mentioned is like, well, what about pages that have sort of like dynamic URL segments that I that I still don't want to have to generate on on the fly because it's a fixed list of dynamic segments? You know what? How can I make sure that I still solve those? And it sounds like get static paths, I guess, is the API for. Um, dealing with those situations?
1: Yeah, correct. So get static parts is um, a way where you basically can do also do data fetching, but then uh, instead of returning the props for that page, you return a list of all the pages that you want to render. Um, uh, so that would just be like pods and then the parameters that you need for that dynamic route. So so you have log slug, you would be providing all the slugs that you want to render. And then for each page, we're going to call get static props uh, so that you can do data fetching for that specific slug, basically. Cool. Yeah.
0: And is like the way that you would use that in practice, like in get Paths, you might make some call to your headless CMS or something to say, give me a list of all the blog posts and now using whatever data they return i'm just gonna map over that and basically generate this return object structure that gets static paths expects that's gonna now have that list of route segments so it's not like you have to just like oh manually type in well these are the 10 blog posts that i I have you know what i mean it's it's all kind of this like dynamic system that still produces static output
1: yeah yeah so the so it's just an asynchronous method same as get static props basically um so you can fetch the the list of all the blocks that you have from uh, your headless CMS or from your database, and then um, you you basically like if you wanted to, you could also just like write out all the like hard code, all the parts that you want to render. It's obviously not um, as productive uh, as you like probably want to just get that from a, a headless CMS. Um, and one of the things that we also built into get static pods is that if you want to, like, in general, if you have, like, tons of, uh, blog posts, for example, where blogs are generally not the, the best example of this, um, you might want to only render or statically render, uh, a subset of pages, right? Like the, the top 100 or so, uh, blog posts that are being viewed, like, very often, for example. Uh, so there is a, a thing that's built into parts that is called fallback, and fallback basically, if you opt into that, uh, allows you to on-demand render all the other routes that are being requested, um, and then if someone like if you deploy that site, you you basically end up with like if you go to a certain route like blog slash hello world for example, and that hasn't been generated at build time. Uh, Next will actually generate it on demand for you. Uh, And then after that, all the subsequent calls to that route will be serving that static Mm. HTML that was generated.
0: That's cool. So it like lazily does like a static build. Yes. Yeah. So it's still better than having it be rendered on the fly every single time because it's still smart enough to know, well, like this was meant to be part of this, like get static props sort of portion of the build. So it's safe to only render one, version of it but we're not going to bother doing that at build time because we don't want the build to take like two hours or something as we go through our 2000 blog posts we only want to pre-render the most popular 50 or whatever that's awesome
1: yeah Very yeah cool. that also helps with uh for example if you want to uh write a new blog post right like if you write a new blog post inside of your cms oh, you want you to be e- you don't like,
0: even have to redeploy basically yeah
1: yeah because that can be generated on demand uh, when that request comes in on that page.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. So then you get like that same sort of like WordPress update experience, basically, um, which typically you wouldn't have got before if you were trying to do like a static blog, because you'd always have to rebuild and redeploy instead of just like throwing the new data in the database. But this way, you sort of get the best of both worlds.
1: Yeah. So. Um we're currently even working on, uh, extending this, uh, to basically regenerating existing, like, builds, uh, at build time generated pages. Uh, so I wrote an RFC that was posted two days ago, mm-hmm. uh, from some mind. And it basically, uh, covers, like, how can we do incremental generation or basically, like, how can we, like, build at build time this, like, set of pages? Uh, but then make sure that if someone makes a change to that blog post and saves it and publishes it to uh, the Headless CMS, that the uh, blog post is basically propagated to the whole site um, while not having to do a redeploy, right? Like not having to do next build for yeah. like non-code changes, basically, yeah. like data changes.
0: Yeah, I actually wanted to talk about this RFC a little bit once we got through this stuff because I thought this was interesting and I did have some questions about it. So I'm looking through the RFC now. The way that I understand this is basically, you've basically added like a new uh, kind of key, I guess, to what's returned by get static props. That's sort of like kind of like a a key that's owned by Next. You know, it's like this is, yeah, yeah, it's called revalidate and it takes like an integer, which is like, the way I understand it is like the amount of time to sort of like assume that it's safe to show like the current version of like the, the page for like basically the cash busting time. Um, is that correct? Like basically like in this example, we yeah. have like revalidate one for one second. So does that mean that like if I visit the blog post at whatever time and someone visits it five seconds later that it's going to rebuild it on the server?
1: Yeah. So the way it works is, um, if a like if you say it's uh, like the revalidate time is one second, uh, and someone goes to the, the site, like it, it has been generated at build time, right? So there is always a existing static HTML file. Um, but if like that user goes to the site, like if you go to uh, my blog, for example, um, and that revalidate time has been passed since like. The last time it was generated, uh, we re-render the page, but in the background. So oh. that, hap- that means that you, as a user, always get that static page. So I always get the fast response. Uh, but in the background, we re-render that page. So the uh, next so person
0: will a- get the updated one, basically. But no one yep. will ever has to wait for any like on-demand rendering yeah. of the blog post to happen.
1: Yeah, so that's one of the, the problems that, for example, um, like one example is with WordPress, for example, you have WP Super Cache or something like that. Um, and that has a validation timeout also. Uh, but if that timeout is surpassed, basically like that one second has passed, the new user that comes in will actually render that page and then get that re-render page back. Uh, but that is a problem because... It, it makes the experience for that one user slower right yeah especially and if you like set it to one second yeah uh, it's mm-hmm. going to be
0: now basically like doing that all the might, time for all users it's, right? you might as well not even have yeah. a cache at that point right so as yeah. you try to make the data feel like more fresh you lose like the benefits of the speed of the cache but the solution that you've kind of proposed kind of magically <laughs> avoids that by letting you keep the content super fresh uh, but never really slowing it down for anyone. Like the only, like quote unquote, trade off, which I don't even see as like a real trade off, is that the person is that the, the person who sort of causes next to notice that the content is out of date gets the out of date um, version of the content. But if they if they hit refresh one second later, like they pro- it, it, the new version of the page would be ready for them anyways, and it probably doesn't even really matter anyways. So, yeah, that's a really clever kind of solution. I really like that.
1: Yeah. So, um, the way that I've been putting it is basically, um, if your data is like not extremely real time. So that, that means like it updates more than once per second, which is like almost never the case if you talk to like any content websites. Um, because most are like blogs or like websites or marketing pages and someone updates the, um, like say a header or something like that. Right. And you refresh the page two times. It's updated. So, um, like, that trade-off is almost, like, always worth making because uh, the data's not that real-time. Except if you use, like, if you have user data, then it becomes a different story, right? Uh, but for general, like, website purposes, it, it makes total sense.
0: Yeah, yeah, cool. So I think um, what I really want to spend, like, a lot of time on for the rest of this conversation is, like, the guest server-side prop stuff and how all, all that stuff works. But before I want to get into that, I think, like, Uh, what we're talking about right now kind of leads into another interesting thing worth talking about which is um, on the last podcast episode I had Michael Chan on and we were talking about a bunch of stuff and something that came up when we got into talking about Next for a couple minutes at the end of the episode was both of us sort of had this like assumption that like Next does a lot of like really clever fancy stuff like what you're talking about here with this like incremental static generation RFC that um, on the surface to me makes it sound like man, that's so complicated. Like probably I have to deploy this to Zite for this to be able to work because like the now platform must be like handling all this stuff in some intelligent way. And um, you mentioned on Twitter that that's actually not true and that all all this stuff can basically work anywhere that you can um, deploy a node server. So I think it'd be interesting to talk about that just a little bit so people can like kind of get, if they had the same mis, or sorry, incorrect assumption that I had, kind of understand like why it is that really this is like this is all part of next and it's not really coupled to any like infrastructure so how does like kind of complex features like this that seem to like do all this fancy stuff with caching cdns and all that stuff like how is it possible that all this stuff is just like baked into next in a way that makes it kind of portable and easy to kind of deploy anywhere
1: right so um yeah let's start with the the first context which is um Zeit is the company that built Next. Um, so it's a company that I work for. Um, and my team at Zite, uh, which is currently like five people working on Next full time, um, are, are all like part of Zite. Um, but like the way that we built the framework is, uh, actually uh, in a way that like it works, like all the features that we built always work outside of the Zeit platform. So Zide is a hosting platform, you can uh, deploy your like next steps there. It like works automatically. So basically like everything works out of the box uh, in most cases. Um, and you get a bunch of optimizations out of that automatically, right? So uh, we run your builds, we we like serve it from CDN, uh, everything becomes serverless functions. Um, and basically uh, you can host your own Next app, like pretty much anywhere that you can host Node servers. Um, so Next has a built-in uh, start command, so next start, that boots up a production Node.js server uh, that you can host anywhere, basically. Um, and it has all the features that Next has, so like API routes and um, like just like on-demand rendering, static generation, basically everything. Um, the main difference between like hosting on Zite versus like hosting using Next Start is that um, we we use a different target, a compilation target in Next, which is called Serverless, which is also open source, so you can like build your own solution on top of that. Uh, but it requires some more instrumentation because um, like the way that you can uh, like see it is like. Almost like Next generating some containers for you, but those are serverless functions. And then having to wrap them or like throw them into your right um instrumentation uh for hosting, basically, right? So like a Kubernetes or something like that. Uh but in the case of Next, it's basically like you're generating serverless functions, and those serverless functions have to be wrapped by um the like interrupt code for your uh, serverless provider. So in case of uh, Zyde, it's handles for you, but in case of AWS, for example, you have to uh, map the like Lambda implementation to Node.js request and response. Uh, so Next is actually built on top of like, the Node.js request and response. Uh, like The serverless functions are built on top of the, Nexus server, uh, the serverless request and response for Node.js. So you got a uh, request and response as the parameters that you have to put in. And um, those can be, th- those differ like greatly between serverless providers. So AWS has its own uh, like parameter that they put in. TCP uh, has a separate one. Um, and Azure also has a separate one, right? So we tried to build this solution to be as generic as possible. Uh, so that it works on any platform, basically. Uh, what we didn't include is like all the wrapping for like AWS, uh, GCP, uh, Azure, etc. Uh, as that like required a lot of separate instrumentation that is not really like fit for next itself. Um, so like we, we saw a bunch of, uh, community members, for example, uh, building like an AWS integration or a serverless framework integration or, like GCP, uh, I haven't seen one for Azure yet, but I believe that someone is working on it. Um, and those basically like handle those, uh, wrappings of the serverless output uh, in order to, uh, be able to take, uh, advantage of the serverless, uh, output of next. So basically like Zeit, uh, like hosting on Zite, um, gives you the benefit of like not having to, actually like figure out the wrapping there. Uh, But Next itself gives you the like, basically two ways to deploy, right? Like next start or serverless output. And then serverless output requires you to like set up more instrumentation as as generic as possible. uh, It can be hosted anywhere, basically.
0: Yeah, that makes sense, yeah. I think like the secret kind of piece that was missing for me was like not recognizing that the next start command like, that is, like, the real server. In my head, I was thinking, okay, well, if you're pre-generating these pages, like, we must be deploying those to, like, a real CDN on, like, servers and stuff somewhere, which I'm, if I'm not, if I'm understanding correctly, Z- that's what Zeit actually does when you kind of set things up with, like, a serverless deployment target, and that's, like, their approach to doing it. That's how you kind of split everything up, make all that stuff super easy. But you absolutely could throw it on Heroku if you wanted to with Next Start, and all your static pages are still getting statically pre-rendered and thrown in some temp folder, probably, I guess, somewhere where it's going to read them from the server on demand and to kind of send them back instantly without actually having to do any runtime stuff and all that stuff still works and all the performance benefits and stuff are still the same. So, um, yeah, that's awesome. So I'm glad that we're able to get that cleared up for sure.
1: Yeah. And then also, uh, for example, like if you want to take care of the, the CDN part, uh, you can always put a CDN in front of your like next start command, for example. Uh, cause for example, like the into the incremental generation that I talked about, uh, it uses a HTTP spec, uh, called still while we validate. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it can still work on other CDN providers, for example. Uh, there are like some, um, like integrations that you have to do in some cases, depending on like how your CDN provider like has that feature. Because like in some cases, it could be that it's enterprise only, right? So you have to okay. get like a larger bundle or stuff like that. But yeah, so that is all handled on site automatically. But uh, you can still do it on other providers, basically.
0: Yeah, that's something that I like, don't know much about because I actually have never like set up a real CDN in front of everything. I've never worked on anything where this the scale was at a level where that was really important am i right in thinking that like there'd be a lot of configuration to do in terms of making sure that the cdn is serving like web application stuff fresh and never caching any of that stuff but making sure the marketing stuff actually always gets cached um and stuff like that
1: so in general uh if you like set up your own cdn uh provider so that could be like anything from uh, like Cloudflare or uh, just forgot the other name, but oh well, uh,
0: like Fastly so, or any of these other yeah, Fastly
1: yeah. or uh, yeah, so uh, or Akamai that was the name that I forgot. Um, if you set up like one of those, you basically um, just point them like it's a reverse proxy almost, right? So you you basically say like, hey, go to the like this URL. Uh, that is, like, my next start uh, running server, Um, and then you set up, like, hey, I want to, like, cache these uh, routes, for example, or um, if they support dynamic generation uh, being cached on the CDN, uh, which, like, the Zite CDN does, for example, automatically. Um, But, like, if you set that all up, it it works in, like, pretty much the same way.
0: Yeah. So this is like um it kind of gets into another topic maybe we should start somewhere else before and i'll try to remember to come back to it because it's all kind of related so let's talk about the guest server side prop stuff a little bit i think like the most interesting part of that conversation is how i guess it's different from get initial props and i think the main way that it's different in my understanding and what i'm curious to learn more about is you don't have to write isomorphic code anymore right like the get initial props um hook or hook i guess is not the right word to use anymore that will confuse people Um, but the get initial props kind of feature of next before you had to write code that sort of like could work both in the browser and on the server because the first request that would end up getting called on the server for the server-side rendering stuff to happen and then subsequent requests get initial props on the page that you're visiting would end up running in the browser Um, but it sounds like now with get server-side props it always runs on the server is that right
1: correct yeah so um, basically that that is also something that uh, is slightly confusing to people because um, it runs on the server but you still get client-side navigation yeah so uh, next is this next link that allows you to link between pages and it all have this client side uh, but basically if you use get server-side props Uh, If you go from one page to the next and the next page uses um, get server-side props, it will fetch an API endpoint uh, that then returns that result. This is like a,
0: a secret API route that's like next kind of sticks in your app for you?
1: Yeah. Yeah, so it's a built-in API. Yeah, it's sort of like an API route. It's it's not exactly, but um, like it, an it's internal route, route like the sort of thing that yeah.
0: might be like four underscores, yep. like next API sort of thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. So so it's part of like underscore next slash um, like the build ID, etc. Um, in order to make sure that like caches are busted when you do new uh, builds, etc. Um, but Basically, like one of the the main reasons that we went for this approach is that we saw a lot of um, like larger enterprise sites or even like normal websites that used getInitialProps, uh, and they basically ended up uh, like when they reached out to us, being like, "Hey, we actually want to make our site faster. Uh, how can we actually do this with getInitialProps?" Uh, so then our answer was like, "Hey, you can actually cache this uh, these responses, like the HTML that's being generated." Um but that didn't cover client side um transitions, right? So if you go from one page to the next, client side, it would still fetch the like REST API that they built or the GraphQL API. Uh whereas they wanted to actually cache those in between states also.
0: Okay, so to make sure um, I understand, that's because like when you go to fetch like the next page, it had get initial or it had this like server-side rendering, I guess, dependency. Like it would be trying to render uh server-side and g- like what what makes that not cache, so overall, I guess? Like-
1: um Yeah, so basically what you had to do was uh you had to cache the responses that came back client-side. Um inside of like, like basically because get initial approach worked in a way that First render is server-side, get-initial-props runs, you get a response back, So generate on-demand. And then uh, when you click a link, it would still call get-initial-props, but client-side, right? So it was isomorphic code. Um, So one of the problems with get-initial-props was, uh, because it's isomorphic code, you have to make sure that it works in both the server and on the client-side. Uh, So that led to a bunch of confusion because you had to build like isomorphic or use isomorphic dependencies. So like isomorphic fetch or something like that. Um, Or even like you couldn't use like database adapters or uh, reading file system or something like that. Um, But then also, if you did that client-side transition, it would call the API. uh, Well, you might want to actually cache the call in between the API. So instead of calling the API, you might want to catch the results. Um, and this was really hard for like larger uh, next steps because they they had basically um, like done like twenty API calls maybe. Like if it's a really large app and it's very like separate uh, separated data requirements, uh, they would do like twenty or ten uh, fetches at the same time. And then they want to catch that response.
0: Got it. Uh, so the, but it was really be- the best hard you could do, do is cache yeah. all those twenty individual API requests, which is kind of annoying. But by do- having get server side props always run on the server, those twenty API requests now live in a function that's being run on the server, and you only are making the one call to this like hidden API endpoint. And now that API call can get cached, and it kind of like wraps up all those other ones. Is that the benefit? Am I understanding that? Yeah. Right.
1: Cool. Yeah, exactly. So that is already like one of the benefits. But then the other benefit is that you could say, like, like we were talking about uh, CDN caching of dynamic responses. You can also set up, like, hey, I want to cache this uh, response from my uh, next server on the CDN for that dynamic response. Uh, so then it becomes like setting one header instead of like optimizing all your API endpoints across the whole company, basically. Um, so so that's one of the things that it helps with. Um and then in general, like get in uh, get static props and get server side props uh basically like the the lines are being blurred sort of because like where you would generally use get server side props like n- currently uh once the incremental rendering comes out, uh you would generally use get static props uh except for if you have user data, right
0: yeah, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Is there one thing that I was kind of wondering about? Like, it seems like one of the benefits of get initial props and, and kind of what we just talked about, I think, like helps me understand, like w- the other side of this trade off a little bit is I think like one of the things that sounds true about get initial props when you first learned about it's like, oh, wow, like that's going to be more performant because, Right on the client, I can make like my data fetching straight to the source. I don't have to like go through like some middleman to do it, right? Whereas we get server side props. Now you have to have this API call from the next app that goes to back to your next server that then goes to your data source that comes back to the next server, then comes back to you, which sounds like, well, isn't that going to be slower? Blah, 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 blah. But um, the cacheability of that is definitely like a, a big benefit for sure um how how much did like that kind of consideration factor into stuff like what what should people know about that that i guess like makes that not really like a problem i guess you know because at first glance it does sound like oh well you're introducing this like extra hop in between now isn't that going to make things slower
1: yeah so one of the like one good example is like how crossql works for example uh, which already like creates a separate layer of an API endpoint in front of your like API if you're building like legacy uh, like building on top of legacy APIs for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's very similar to that, um, but it also uh, is generally like your web server or like your next Start server is probably going to be closer to the API endpoints than your users in like many cases. Yeah. Um, so, for example, like I live in the Netherlands, and if I would go to site.co, the um, like server could be in um, San Francisco, for example, right? So there's a lot of overhead, and if you had like ten API and uh, like ten API endpoints that needed to be requested, uh, you would have the overhead of like ten, 10 API calls going around the Francisco, world, right? Yeah. Instead of just one that comes back with like the minimal amount of data that you need to render
0: that page. Yeah, that's interesting. So now with the get server-side props setup up in your example where you're going from Amsterdam to San Francisco, you're going to make the one API request to the next server that then is going to make the 10 API requests to like the Zite API, say. And those could all be in the same data center if you wanted to. And now even though it's technically 11 requests happening instead of 10, uh, 10 out of those 11 requests are now going to be like probably 80% faster than they would have been um, if you had to make them all individually yourself going all the way across the world. So the whole thing ends up being way faster, even though there's one extra HTTP request. So it's not as, um, uh, yeah, there's more factors to consider, I guess, than just like the total number of requests.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So... um yeah, another one is probably cacheability. Um, in like many cases that helps with like improving performance, of course. Like if you can cache it on like a CDN or even inside of next Start, that's fine. Um, but another is, for example, authentication. Um, so if you wanted to do authentication in next, um, you, you would have to do like client side checks for like your out cookie being there and being able to fetch uh, like your API endpoint with some like set cookie for example uh, whereas now because everything's running server-side you basically always have that cookie available uh, and it can be HTTP only uh, so it's not available to your like your client-side JavaScript um, but you can still do like the authentication checks um, and one of the like other benefits is that if you have a very large uh data fetching uh dependency like um like a data fetching library that is very large, or even like a data set that you import directly, but like that's beside the point. Um get server-side props and get static props are eliminated from the browser bundle. So it's never shipped to the client side. Uh so that means that in like cases where you would generally have like ship maybe like an example in blogs is for example, you would have a um, syntax highlighting plugin or something like that, like React syntax highlighter or something like that. I uh, don't know if that's a real package, but um, like you would ship that to the client side and it would need to include like parsers for every single um, like language that you have in your blog, right? Um, but then with get server props or if get aesthetic props, you actually can run that calculation server-side without sending all that JavaScript to the client side.
0: Mm, that's interesting. So, is it smart enough, like in like the build process, to detect? Like one thing I noticed, I guess, first of all, is the way that the get server-side props and get static props um, kind of functions have been added is a little bit different than how get initial props was. With get initial props, you had to like hang it off the page component, uh, but now these are just like. F- Async functions that you export from the the page file, which is way nicer because um, when hooks were introduced and everyone started writing functional components, all of a sudden it felt like a lot less ergonomic to add, get initial props. You had to like save your functional thing in a variable, then like add the property, then export it. Um but now it's just a couple separate functions. Um so I guess like in like your build process, you can kind of detect like, okay, well, we have 10 imports at the top of the file. Uh, three of them are actually only needed for get static props and get server-side props though, so we can completely remove those dependencies when we actually build the, the browser bundle.
1: Yeah, uh, exactly. So one of the things that we wanted to do is solve that. Like the adding the static property on a component uh, just didn't work that well anymore because you get hooks and like all the components became functional components in like almost all new apps. Um, so previously you had like the static keyword that was really like ergonomic, like it looked really nice inside of your um, like class components, but it doesn't really work with functional components. So we want to fix that to allow you to like export the function directly from the the module. Um, but that also was needed in order to be able to tree shake or like eliminate that code from uh, the bundles for browsers, right? So. Uh we actually have a uh interactive playground for that uh, I'll share the link later um but it likes you to see like what the output is after the elimination so you basically like throwing your get static props et etc and you can actually verify if like it tree shakes correctly for you um and it does tree shake the functions the the variables et cetera um that are only used inside of get static props or get server side props so even if you do like a top level import and you import like your whole data fetching library it's it's not going
0: to be included in the browser Bundle Very, that's very cool yeah I think like you mentioned something uh, earlier in the conversation that I had not thought about but it's funny because I had thought about it with Next like a long time ago and I thought oh it'd be cool if we could do this and then I kind of just shook it out of my head but the idea of being able to like um, basically do database calls like directly and get server side props this was like something that you could do and, like, get initial props if you really wanted to be, like, weird and clever. You know what I mean? Like, okay, well, I will uh, check to see if I'm running in Node, and if so, I'll make a direct database call. Otherwise, I'll go through this API endpoint that I've written that proxies to the database. Um, But that would have never been worthwhile. You know what I mean? It was, like, not ergonomic. It was just, like, a mess. But now, because you can be guaranteed that everything is running on the server, um, there's a pretty good argument, it feels like, for... Like, why even write an API endpoint for the data that this component needs unless I really do need to access that data from somewhere else? Like, why not just grab it directly from the database, throw my, you know, Mongo credentials or whatever right into my next app and just grab it? And you mentioned that, like, people are starting to experiment with that. Um, How's that working out?
1: Yeah, so um, it works out really well, actually. Um, It's almost. Like surreal. Like the first time we tried that out, it was like, "Oh, we can actually do this!" And so I was like you're writing like a PHP app, right? Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> uh, I, I used to work in like a lot of PHP stuff, um, like WordPress, Magento, etc. Uh, and there it was really common to just have like access to the database, or at least like have a an ORM layer um, for your database, and it just works basically. Um, without having to do, to do like all the API calls and all the, the separate um, like hassle that you have to go through today basically yeah um, so so yeah it, it works out pretty well um, I haven't seen like in production apps using it yet um, but that's mostly probably because no one reached out to me to like say that they are doing that and yeah. um, so maybe like after this episode we'll, we'll know more yeah um, but yeah, I'm very curious if someone is doing that currently. Um, yeah. we're planning to investigate doing it for Zeit uh, to basically get rid of a lot of overhead that we currently have on like API calls, like
0: um, API calls that but, literally only exist to fetch data for yes. specific pages. Yeah,
1: yeah, because there's quite a lot of overhead. Like there's always like I don't know, like bunch of like the, there's HTTP overhead. So like the the uh, like security handshakes, et cetera. Um, and those like can eliminate, like if you do di- direct database queries, you can eliminate a lot of that overhead. Um, mm-hmm. But just using their like database layers,
0: basically. Yeah, that's really cool. Okay, so um, the final topic that I wanted to get into is um, something I've heard Guillermo talk about a lot on some podcasts lately that I thought would be kind of neat is the Zeit dashboard at least used to use get initial props a lot for everything. As far as I could tell from an end user experience, like you kind of had that like progress bar that you'd see at like the top of the page when you click between things as like the stuff was running, like the sort of blocking data requirement stuff. And um, it seems like that's changed lately so that you get like sort of immediate renderings of like the next page and then like gap, the holes are kind of being filled in um, with like, API calls, essentially, which is a sort of a different way to, to do this stuff. And the way I understand that being or the, that that's being done is using like um, the SWR library that you guys put out recently ish, uh, which is kind of like your wrapper around make data fetching um, that builds in a bunch of interesting things for Kind of like caching stuff intelligently, um, and making stuff feel fast while also still making sure that you have like the latest data. Um, looks like a really cool library. Uh, the thing that I'm curious about the most, I guess, is I've heard Guillermo talking a lot about kind of just like really doubling down on like static pre-generation as much as possible for for everything. And I've been kind of just trying to like play with the dashboard in interesting ways to kind of understand exactly when that's happening and, and when it's not and interesting places that i've seen it happen is even for like fully user specific like dynamic pages it feels like there's like static pre-generation happening which is situation where a lot of people might not think that that would be like an option right and what it seems like is happening is you've pre-generated like like skeleton pages essentially for like these different like logged in screens. So maybe like my project list kind of has all the like boxes in place and everything and kind of any information that would be static, but the stuff that has to come from the API just has like kind of little placeholder blocks. The sort of thing that you might probably familiar with on like facebook.com when you go there and you're waiting for it to load, you see like a kind of like a, a skeleton version of a post with just like some gray boxes and stuff like that. And then the data, um, gets filled in, and I think the part that's interesting about it is the fact that um, in a typical React app, like a non Next, non like pre generated React app, you can do the same sort of thing, but still like the first page request is going to be like just like your empty div with your app ID. You get the JavaScript you have a white screen for a second while you wait for react to boot up then react shows you like the skeleton screen as the api calls get triggered then the data comes in and then it fills in but the way the zite dashboard works is you get that pre-rendered html back that is empty um and the api then react boots up then the api calls start happening things get filled in um but i think what's i want to talk about that i think is interesting about that is um it's easy to assume that like Next is r- server-side rendering that shell when you visit that page, but I'm pretty sure it's not. I'm pretty sure that that's coming from a CDN. Um, so, do you mind talking about that a little bit?
1: Yeah. So um, we we basically like for historical context, uh, we built Next for our own website uh, like three years ago. And it started out as all being server-side rendered, so every request that you did, even to the marketing pages, etc., we et uh, were all server-side rendered on demand. Uh, even though those marketing pages were all like just JSX, basically, um, so we introduced the automatic static optimization to solve that for like our own pages also. Um, so. That, like, if you host next steps on site, uh, like all static pages that you generate are all served from the CDN automatically. Um, so all those static pages were served from the CDN basically immediately. But then we still had our dashboard, which was, uh, service that rendered on demand. Like it fetched the user data for you, um, for each request. So we wanted to make the experience faster because the dashboard felt slow, basically. Because um, you had to go to like, San Francisco or like, to, um, like, somewhere in Europe where the, the APIs were hosted. Um, and that, that was just like, not as smooth as it could be. So we started incrementally uh, moving pages to static generation. So at this point in time, basically all the dashboard has been moved to static. Uh, so that's auto-exported, no get static props, no get server-side props. Um, but you could still use get static props if we wanted to, of course, because that's still statically generated at build time. Um, but all the pages are skeleton pages. So that means that you still see like the header um, and the relevant content for that page. Uh, but all the, the user data that uh, is missing, basically, on the first request is loaded as a skeleton. So we have a bunch of, like, really fancy uh, loading states, basically. Like, it could also be spinners in your own app, for example, uh, but we went all in and, like, created all the, like, really nice-looking skeletons. And basically, that all builds on top of SWR, uh as you are saying. Um which is this data fetching library uh, that uses, like, hooks, uh, React hooks, to uh, basically do a bunch of optimizations. So one is, like, if you focus back on a tab, for example, and you click somewhere, it will actually refetch the data to make sure that it's always up to date. Um, Because, for example, like, the Zite dashboard is very dynamic as, like, people do live deployments, and they actually want to see them in your dashboard immediately. Uh, as you might think that there's something wrong there if, if they're not. Um, but then also, uh, what we do is, because like, everything's statically generated, everything's served from the CDN automatically. But we also include the preload text for the API calls. So, like you were saying, like in a general React app, like if you just create React app or something like that, uh, you end up with just a white screen being served from the CDN. Then it has to boot up, then it shows you all the spinners, and then you start data fetching, right? Um, but what we do for our own dashboard is we pre-generate the uh, like HTML for that page with the skeletons. That is served from the CDN, but in that HTML, we already embed link rail preload tags that basically start like a pre-connection to the API. Uh, and that means that when we actually call fetch, uh, it already has been started, fe- like it already started fetching earlier on in the rendering of the document. So that ensures that the like skeletons are not shown as long as you would expect them to be.
0: Is that something that you had to do, um, kind of completely from scratch, or does SWR like automatically add those link tags for you if you're using it?
1: So right now we uh, did it manually. As far as I'm aware, uh, the main reason is that SLBR allows you to do like any sort of data fetching. So we can't really detect like if you used like a certain fetch or not. Yeah, okay. Uh, but yep. we might add that in eventually through like um, like a battle like, plugin or something yeah, like that. Yeah. That's um, cool. But yeah, it, it works out really well uh, for our own dashboard. Like it feels really fast. Uh, and that was the main goal of the project, basically, like making the dashboard feel really fast and really smooth. Um,
0: yeah. So one question I have about that, which is just like a naive, I don't understand enough about CDN's question, so I think you'll probably have a simple answer for me with any luck, is with stuff that's like a dynamic page, um, so say like on the Zeit dashboard, you go to like ziteco slash Adam slash my project, right? if if anyone visits that they get like an html cdn served kind of skeleton until the dashboard either detects that you're not adam wyden so you shouldn't be able to see this page and it redirects you to log in or um it fetches the data and actually fills it in or it detects that even i don't own the project and that or or it's not a real project and it turns to a 404 or whatever um but i think like a lot of people or maybe maybe it's just me and i just i'm stupid (laughs) would assume that like in my head, the way that I assume like a CDN's work is that they're just basically like serving a file from a file system, right? But there is no like Adam Wadden slash my project dot HTML file that exists on the CDN server because in Next, you define that as like, you know, a square bracket project name, square bracket dot like JS dynamic route, right? Yeah. So does that mean that like when I deploy my Next app with um, Zite that you're like, basically like configuring like the CDN, like creating configuration rules that say like when this like regular expression is matched for the route that it should serve this square bracket dynamic route pre-generated file.
1: Yes. So, um, the way that works is we, we generate the, like if you use next start, for example, the, the router is built into next start. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, so that already knows like how to serve, uh, dynamic routes, for example, uh, On-site, we actually generate the writing rules for our uh, our proxy server, basically. Yeah. Um, so, it all happens on the proxy. So, you don't have, like, a next start or Node.js server in between.
0: And that's what uh, it lets so those search- be, like, served from the edge, basically, instead of, like, where the yeah. server is actually running. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, but even if you, like, had a, a node app, like, next start node.js app, um, and you would put a CDN in front of that, uh, it would still be able to serve that static HTML file, uh, with the right caching rules, basically. Because, um, it would sit, like, in front of the next app. Yeah. Right? So, um, so basically, like, you can configure the CDN being like, hey, if a 200 is returned, cache it for, like, that's lifetime that you would specify basically
0: yeah in that case so that would only yeah. cache it for like that exact url not like if i went to my project too it would have to hit the next server again to find out that even though yeah it's for ser- it's serving the same file i can't like reuse like the cache from the first time because there's no way for it to know i guess right
1: yeah yeah but then even then it's still like minimal overhead because sure. um the, the static files being served from note basically yeah. um but if you did deploy yeah, that the, with site
0: it would know like because it does yes, configure all yeah because it integrates with the cdn rules yeah, yeah. so it's even faster yeah. basically yeah Pretty yes. cool so
1: it it integrates with the the proxy that we have basically um and we can do that because we basically like have the parts of the framework and the parts of uh, the the platform, uh, so we know like this is going to work in this way, and that you can serve it uh, up in that way. Um, yeah, one good thing to like mention is that uh, like if you go to the site dashboard, and you go to like slash uh, like your name, for example. Uh, it would actually serve up that skeleton with the like whole skeleton of the dashboard, so you would see the like makeshift dashboard with skeletons. Uh, but after that, if like you're not logged in, you're either sent to the logged in page, mm-hmm. or you're sent to uh, a 404 page if it's not in your user uh, account, basically.
0: Yeah, so it's it's like yep. I was having this conversation with my friend Jonathan this morning because I was kind of showing this to him because I thought it was cool. It's it's basically like it's like optimizing for like the ninety nine point nine percent use case where someone is visiting a resource like they actually clicked a link to that they're actually meant to be able to see, um, not yep. like the person who's like oh typing in other people's project names into the yeah. URL. Whereas like in a Rails app or a Laravel app, you would be able to just like show them a four hundred four immediately but it's a little bit slower yeah. than being able to show them something from the CDN. You've kind of chosen this trade-off of like, well, we'd rather show a skeleton screen for eight milliseconds and then redirect them after like the API calls are finished because then for the people that are actually doing stuff they're supposed to be able to do, they get like that even faster feeling experience. So it's a really, yeah. really cool uh, approach for sure. Uh, what I think is interesting is like the switch from get initial props the, the kind of blocking data fetching that you were doing before for everything, like you're, you you have not even switched to like get server side props. Like you basically just decided, well, we're just going to make fetch calls like from the client to, uh, to get the data now instead. Yep. Was there, do you mind like talking a little bit about like that change in mindset? Because if it, it felt like before this, like, uh, you guys seem to feel like pretty strongly about the idea of like trying to get like server side rendering, making sure all the data is there for anyone who visits it. Um, but now sort of switched to like fetching the data on the client.
1: Yeah. Um, the, the main reason for it, uh, was a lot of profiling of our own app. So it, it really depends on like what app you're building. But in our case, uh, the way that we build it, uh, like we, we first tried to optimize what we already had, uh, but when that became like not feasible anymore uh we basically like started investigating like how can we make it faster than it is right now and also optimize for like the majority of use cases right like um like you were saying like you, you, it doesn 't really matter if we show like a four or four a few seconds after we show the skeleton of the dashboard if that user wasn't allowed to see the the dashboard um another like Example of that is uh, we do a cookie check in a, a script tag that is in the head, uh, and that allows us to basically like do a pre-elimination of users that aren't logged in, like showing them the login page almost immediately, instead of going through like having to boot up React, having to like wait for the components to render, etc, and then going to the login page. Uh, so you can basically like eliminate a lot of overhead on users uh to begin with um but overall, for our case we we did a lot of investigation in like how long react hydration takes for like our tree that we wanted to render um and uh, a bunch of other optimizations that we investigated basically,
0: yeah, yeah, I think the what the way that I see it, I guess, like, what, what makes it seem like it makes sense to me is, like, before all these kind of optimizations existed in Next that let you kind of treat different types of content in different ways, it really sounded to me like it made sense to try and render everything ahead of time for, like, SEO reasons and, you know, crawlers and all sorts of stuff. And and it seemed like the, the goal was, like, you want someone to see something immediately, Right. You don't want people to have to to wait for stuff. And we have to solve this problem for public pages where the, the content needs to be there. So let's start with like a solution that just kind of handles everything and kind of optimize the per use case kind of situations as we go. And and now with like all these new features and stuff that I've added to next, it's really easy to pre-generate like a marketing page in a way that's crawlable by google that's even better than how it used to be with next a year ago where it would have to be generated on the server on demand and for someone who's logged into an application like they don't really care that the data is rendered right into the html document like when they first click it right in fact they'd probably rather that whole app feel faster by having like the skeleton load right away and then subsequent page clicks navigate immediately instead of having like that progress bar where you're waiting for all those get initial props api calls to happen so it's it's, it's pretty cool because if it, it ends up feeling like a better user experience for everyone in every use case instead of having to optimize for one at the expense of another which is that to me is like the whole the whole overlying like idea that makes me the most excited about next like just the fact that you're you're finding ways to let people build things using a single paradigm without having to make trade offs that usually come with that
1: yeah, and then also uh, like we we can keep iterating on the solutions that we put out there, uh, yeah. which is the most exciting to me like uh maybe a year ago, like you said we we introduced automatic static optimization um but now you can actually do like full static pages and it's still all pages related, right? Like every page can be a different trade off that you want to make. Mm-hmm. Um, on top of that, you, you get like basically we're bringing all these features that we already like use in our own apps, right? Like site.co being completely static, for example. Uh, we're bringing that into next and like all that knowledge we're bringing that back into next and then, uh, basically providing you with new ways or better ways to do the, like, implementation that you wanted to do anyway.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, And we're just trying to make it easier to do that, basically. Yeah. Like, the, like, incremental generation, for example, is a good example because we had that, Uh, like, the way that it works is very much based out of some concepts that we already implemented in, like, the CDN, but now we're bringing it to all next users. yeah. Which uh, basically like allows you to build faster applications, yeah. uh, by just leveraging all that knowledge that's just being put into the framework uh, over time.
0: Very cool. Yeah, one thing that I've always really um, admired in the work that you guys do at Zeit is the ability to find ways to ship versions of features that are very useful to people. But like, it seems like knowing full well that like there are ways that like we can make this better. But like, how can we kind of like cut some pieces off so we can get like a version out that's still better than nothing now and yep. find ways to improve it? Like, I'm sure you knew three years ago when building Next, you know, originally that like, yeah, it's silly to run a server side rendering process on demand for marketing pages that, that never change, but like it solves the problem. And that's something that we can layer on after. And then we can like keep iterating and iterating instead of just like, Oh we can't get this out because there's this one thing that we'd like to do that we haven't got a solution for yet like seem to do a really good job at like figuring out ways to 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 get things out there instead of having everything held back because of like some minor improvement you know and you know what i'm trying to say like i it just seems like you do a really good job of getting like versions out in public like next didn't have like dynamic routing for the longest time right like as a first class feature yeah. but that didn't make next like not a useful tool like why why like sit on it and not put it out into the world until that's ready when it can be useful for people in a lot of situations the way it is now and there is solutions for dynamic routing they're not as maybe ergonomic as you'd like them to be at the end of the day but now you'd they are you know and next was able to exist and be- people benefit from it for years before that was able to be put out there and you keep continuing to do that with with lots of new features and everything just keeps uh getting better and better without the trade-off of things just like not being possible you know so it's a, it's been a really fun project to follow for that reason
1: yeah. So overall, uh, you did a, an excellent job at uh, explaining it all. But um, like overall, our main commitment is towards like not introducing breaking changes. Mm-hmm. So we have this massive test suite that checks like all kinds of things and just runs against real Next apps, like sixty of them or so right That's now, cool. uh, trying to do like all kinds of things. So uh, it basically like makes sure that HMR doesn't break, like. If you make an edit somewhere, uh, like you still see that edit if you upgrade next, right? Um, but overall, we, we basically don't want to break your app, but we do want to basically allow you to go from like, Oh, I built this, like this page, but I want to optimize it later on, but I want to do that incrementally, right? So one example of that is like how you can do get static props. In one page right now, like you can like start using it today in, inside of your app. Even if you were like if you started out with next one or next two, and you upgraded all the way to next nine. Uh, you can still adopt get static props or get static parts, um, and that allows you to do like incremental adoption. Uh, but it also ties into like the way that we develop the framework. So like I always try to push like internally for. Let's get this thing out in a way that it works really well, uh, but that we can still iterate on it later on, right? So we did that. We have a lot of features. Like, for example, we put out um, like CSS support, but it wasn't as good as it could be. And now we built CSS support into Next. Uh, Same with SAS support or like even like Tailwind, for example, right? Yeah. Um, that is really easy to set up now where it was like really complicated to do, but still possible, uh, a few months ago. Um, so yeah, that's, that's basically the way that we develop the framework right now. Um, and then we try to ensure that it doesn't break across releases, right? Yeah. So we have like this, we keep extending the test suite to, to make sure that it doesn't break. And yeah. it's all inter- integration tests. Like it's no, like we don't do unit tests almost. Uh, like We only do that for like Bevel plugins or something like that, which is really easy to test in unit testing. Uh, but almost all our tests are integration tests that make sure that like what you get is actually what we test against, mm-hmm. right?
0: Yeah, I think that makes sense for sure. Yeah, I have been a proponent of that sort of testing for a long time, so it's a cool <laughs> to hear that that's working out for you. Um, I have one other topic that I want to get into if you have time, um, yeah. which is... One thing that I think is different about the way Next works versus the way that people might have built like a traditional SPA, say, with like, you know, an Ember app or like a Create React app is that Next by default does like a lot of really, really aggressive code splitting, right? To try and keep things as like fast as possible and keep the bundle sizes as small as possible so you're not downloading stuff that you don't need. But to me, my assumption would be that that comes at the expense of like making things like offline support like a lot harder. Um, Because like now you don't have the whole app or you go to click a link and it's going to have to make a network request um, to get it. Are there ways in next to like kind of opt in to sort of like optimizing some of that stuff? Like if there are pages that you you wanted to kind of like always be included in the bundle no matter what um, ways to do that. Or have you sort of just leaned harder on this side of the trade off of like we care more about like speed and performance and the bundle size. Um, and assume that, like, there is a network connection, you know?
1: So, as of right now, we don't have offline support built into the framework. Mm -hmm. Um, But we do have, like, some community plugins that solve the issue pretty well. Um, One of the things to keep in mind is that uh, we also optimize, like, your usage of link, for example. So, if you have a next link inside of your page, it will automatically prefetch uh, and if you use get static props yeah. now, even it prefetches data uh for you if it's in the viewport. Um on top of that we do like like you were saying, like every page that you create is a separate code splitting entry point. So that means that every um like page that you create has a separate JavaScript bundle. Uh but starting from Next92, we also introduce like optimizations on top of that that actually makes sure that if you have like a really large dependency, like um, for example, you would import like a full Markdown parser or like a really large library. And uh, that is being used in two pages, for example, it will actually split out that into a separate bundle. And that would be loaded only on those two pages. Gotcha. And when you navigate to them, basically. Um, I'm not sure if that makes offline support harder or not. Um, Because the prefetching basically allows you to, like, once you go to a page and there's a network connection, uh, the prefetched pages will allow you to, like, just switch between the pages because the data and uh, code is already there. Um, But if you wanted to, like, make sure that you download the whole application, you would need to send every single bundle for every single page in your app to that user. And that might make sense for, like, dashboard-type applications, right? Where it's, like, almost like downloading a full app uh, onto your phone, for example. Um, But for, like, general websites, like your homepage or, like, your documentation website, it it might not be the best trade-off,
0: basically. Yeah, yeah. Is is that something that, like, a problem that, you think is in like scope for next to tackle like do you want Next.js to be like the best react framework for building offline apps or um is that sort of just like fundamentally at odds with trying to solve the other problems that you're trying to solve with next like obviously like there's some situations where offline support is important and there's other situations where it's not and speed and all that stuff is way more important and that seems to be like what's being solved so far. I guess I'm wondering, like, do you think it's even possible to solve both at the same time? Like historically, I think people would say no, but then some of the other initiatives that you've taken on with Next, like the stuff that we've been talking about today has sort of proved that, you know, sometimes you can find like solutions that just let you kind of get the best of both worlds, which you guys seem to be really good at doing. So I'm just curious if that's something that you guys uh, uh, think about a lot.
1: So offline support like built into Next is on the roadmap. Uh, we're working on a bunch of other optimizations first, like the incremental generation. Um, and things like we're, we're currently investigating like how to do uh, internationalization, for example, mm-hmm. which is also a very complicated topic. Um, but still, like, it's really complicated to set up. So we're trying to figure out like how can we make it easier to set up. Um, and yeah, I'm definitely not, uh, saying that it's never going to happen because we, we can definitely work on like something that makes it easier to implement there. Um, cause I don't think that the, like the way that Next is set up currently, like is at odds with offline support, for example. Uh, and even like the, the community plugins that exist to do offline support or do, uh, service workers, for example, Yeah. um, yeah. They work really well, and the people that want to use them are using them. Cool. Um, so it's almost like the like the way of releasing stuff into it, like that you were explaining of like there are community solutions for it, and if they have a lot of traction or like a lot of people ask us for it, we're we're definitely going to investigate it.
0: Yeah. Very cool. Is there any other cool stuff that you're working on with next? Like the, you, we've talked a lot about the incremental static generation stuff. Is there any other uh, cool projects that you're working on that you're willing to spill the beans on or yeah. <laughs> still too early? Uh,
1: so one thing that that we didn't mention uh, so far is preview mode, uh, okay. which already is out in next nine tree, uh, which is also built into like next start, etc. Um, and it allows you to, like, if you build a static website today, you, you basically have to rebuild, if you make changes in your site of your editor, right, like inside of the CMS. Um, so, for example, you go to your CMS and you make a change to the title, and then that editor of the website who can be like someone that's completely non-technical. Uh, probably wants to see the change before it goes live, right? Sure. Uh, it could be that they make the title too long because then that like screws up the layout, for example. Um, but it generally wants to check. So um, we built a feature into Next, which is called Preview Mode, that allows you to bypass the static generated HTML file and get a generated, like on-demand generated uh, version of the page uh, with like a, when you're in Preview Mode. So the way that it works is you have an API route, where you basically say, hey, I want to start up a preview mode session, and that sets a cookie that then bypasses the static generation part of Next. And that means that inside of get static props, you get a preview variable that allows you to fetch data from another source or the same source with additional uh, options, basically. Uh, and that works with pretty much all CMS providers right now. Um so it allows you to like, basically get previews on your live website um, without much effort, basically. Like, all you have to do is opt into the, the preview mode um, bypass uh, session, basically.
0: Very cool. So yeah, that's a super that's, useful feature.
1: Yeah. And then another thing that we're working on is uh, environment support, so .env, because um, currently it's very complicated to basically like decide what environment variables are going to be accessible to the client side or not? Okay. Um, so a lot of feedback that we got was basically like, "Hey, I, I have these environment variables defined. Like, how can you ensure that they're not sent to the browser? Because like it's my database password or something sure, like that, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. I uh, don't want to expose that to your uh, to your users or to the browser." Um, so we're working on better environment support that basically gives a clear distinction between this is going to be sent to the browser. This is going to be sent to the server. And then we also found that like almost 50% of all next apps use dot env. Uh, and env is like loading the env file uh, and a bunch of other uh, variations of it. Um, so we're bringing that into next to make it easier to set up like environment variables. Locally, in production, um, and in testing environments, basically. Uh, so that's something that we're working on. And then there's a bunch of other things that we're working on, but this is like what's going to be out very
0: soon. Awesome, cool, man. Well, yeah, I uh, really enjoyed this conversation. I learned a lot of stuff, and it's got me uh, more excited than ever to keep playing with Next. We're hoping to start a re build of like the tail website full documentation stuff with next in the next couple months so that'll be my first giant and real next project after trying so many different things and finally <laughs> deciding yep okay this is the thing that is going to be the most enjoyable experience so really looking forward to doing that um what's the best way for people to keep up with like the work that you guys are, are doing on next and keep up with the work that you're doing uh, in particular
1: yeah, so um, there are basically three locations to find us. Like the the releases are always blogged on on mm-hmm. uh our website. Um, me personally, you can find me uh, on Twitter. Uh, I'm sure that you're going to send the yeah. first my handle in yep. the uh, notes. Uh, <laughs> and um, basically, uh, at site HQ is uh, where we always tweet about new releases. Um, under the, the side handle um yeah and if you want to like tr- start trying out next you can also like go to nextjs.org learn to basically go to an interactive guide uh on how to get started with
0: next there you have it folks hope you enjoyed this conversation with tim about nextjs 9.3 if you're interested in the show notes for this episode you can find them at fullstackradio.com slash 137 and we'll see you next time